France, 1344. Inside a dark chamber deep in an ancient monastery, a devout friar named John conducted a series of experiments to prevent the apocalypse. He'd been deemed a heretic by the Catholic Church for his work in alchemy. He sought the power to turn ordinary metals into gold, a process called transmutation. Not long after he was imprisoned, the Black Plague swept through Europe and left millions dead. John believed his work could stop the deadly pandemic raging outside the walls of the monastery. And he might have been onto something. His experiments produced a strange new substance. As he tested it further, he realized that this new liquid didn't degrade or lose its potency. It preserved meat and prevented infection. This mystical liquid seemed to be a new element of the universe, a medicine that could heal all sickness, which meant it could stop the plague, unless John was already too late. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. Every Tuesday and Thursday, we examine history's most compelling mysteries. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This is our second episode on alchemy, an ancient philosophy that combined chemistry, physics, and botany in an attempt to control the natural world. Over several millennia, alchemists sought to turn metals into gold and obtain immortality. Last time, we learned about alchemy's origins in ancient China and explored how mythical knowledge spread westward to Constantinople and the Islamic Empire. This time, we'll learn what happened when alchemy exploded in Europe during the Middle Ages. We'll also examine how early scientists discovered the first pharmaceuticals and how the mystical science continues to this day. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. In the mid-12th century, an English monk named Robert of Chester moved to Spain, then under the rule of the Islamic Empire. He was astonished by the technological advances in chemistry and mathematics he witnessed there. These early sciences were still considered alchemy, and Chester wanted to share this alchemy with the Christian world. 
So, in 1144, Chester translated the first alchemical textbook from Arabic into Latin, the language of the Catholic Church. His work sparked a wave of interest in alchemy as European thinkers latched on to these radical new ideas. Initially, European alchemy resembled its predecessors. It was a constant process of trial and error, combining various metals and chemicals to see what would happen. Alchemists created new alloys, distilled liquids into new chemicals, and exposed materials to different vapors. But in the 13th century, European science was based in philosophy and faith. Top European scientists studied Aristotle and Plato, as well as the Bible, for an understanding of the natural world. They were wary of alchemy's foreign influences and suspicious of anything that went against their Christian beliefs. This meant many skeptics looked down on alchemists' experiments with transmutation. They argued that alchemists were only able to create material that looked like gold, not real gold. To them, the power of alchemy was a myth, and they had Arabic sources to support their claims. One was a book written by Persian scholar Ibn Sina. While he agreed with many alchemists' belief that all metals consisted of some blend of mercury and sulfur, he disagreed that they could be made artificially. Ibn Sina argued that only nature had the power to create metals. Alchemy could only create imitations. He viewed alchemy as an art, not a science. He said, quote, art is weaker than nature and cannot equal it. This debate between European academics and alchemists grew more heated during the 13th century. But what started as an argument over alchemy's merits transformed into a religious battle. Alchemists believed mankind could learn the secrets of the universe and control the world. But many religious leaders believed that only God had that power. In this era, the Catholic Church was the primary authority in Europe. The Church rivaled the power of any king or queen. Since many scientists were also devout Catholics, it didn't take long for the Church to note alchemy's polarizing influence. Eventually, the debate between science, faith, and alchemy reached the Pope. Pope Clement IV considered himself an academic. After being elected in 1265, he took it upon himself to understand the current state of science. But openly asking about alchemy was dangerous in the church, even for the Pope. So Clement contacted an alchemist in secret. He wrote to an old friend, a controversial English friar and alchemist named Roger Bacon. He asked Bacon to write several books to explain modern science and to include his professional opinion on whether alchemy was actually a groundbreaking science as its practitioners claimed. This was a huge opportunity for Bacon. If he could convince the Pope that alchemy was real, then it would likely be fully established and accepted as a science in Europe for generations to come. So Bacon sat down to write a passionate defense of alchemy. He argued that alchemists could create true gold and that it was better because of its human origins. Not only was alchemy a science, Bacon believed human ingenuity was stronger than any force of nature. 
He even claimed that humanity could control any natural phenomenon with the help of one tool, the Philosopher's Stone. According to legend, the Philosopher's Stone was the key to alchemy. The ancient Egyptian alchemist Zosimos claimed it was created by divine beings. Allegedly, it allowed humans to live forever. Bacon wrote that the primary goal of alchemy wasn't gold. It was the creation of the Philosopher's Stone, which he claimed required earthly elements and celestial ingredients that could only be discovered through alchemical experiments. Bacon's experimental science diverged greatly from the era's other scientific minds. He spent his time in a laboratory instead of a library. He used mirrors to study light and developed the first European recipe for gunpowder. But his work wasn't easily explained, so he kept it secret, using riddles and allegory in his writing. In some cases, he encrypted his alchemical writing within passages that appeared to be about conventional medicine. There were severe consequences to being discovered as an alchemist. He could be excommunicated, arrested, or even executed. Even Bacon's friendship with the Pope couldn't protect him. If he were discovered, Clement would likely deny knowing him. The Pope could lose support if other church leaders discovered he studied alchemy, or worse, be excommunicated. In spite of the dangers, Bacon finished his work and sent his books to Rome. As luck would have it, Pope Clement IV died soon after. No one knows whether he read Bacon's books or not. But it didn't matter. The reign of Pope Clement was the last opportunity for a peaceful debate. By writing anything about alchemy in his books, Bacon put himself in the crosshairs of the Catholic Church. After Clement's death, religious critics argued that alchemy was an attempt by heathen scientists to play God. More than a threat to Christian beliefs, it was a sin. Practitioners became an enemy of the church and state. And alchemists had no choice but to fight back against the most powerful religious organization in human history. Coming up, European alchemists battle the church. Hi there, it's Carter from ParCast. If you haven't had a chance to check out the riveting true crime series Solved Murders, there's no better time to tune in. Throughout the month of August, Solved Murders is featuring four celebrations that took a turn for the deadly in a special series we're calling Party Fouls. From a murder in the New York nightclub scene and the house party gone horribly wrong, to a terrifying evening at the Tate residence and a sex party with sinister results, go deeper inside four affairs remembered for all the wrong reasons. And if you like what you hear with Party Fowls and want to uncover more of history's most captivating cases, be sure to follow Solved Murders on Spotify. There you'll find a new episode released every Wednesday. Solved Murders is a Spotify original from ParCast. Listen free only on Spotify. Now back to the story. 
In the 12th and 13th centuries, the study of alchemy spread throughout Europe. Philosophers, scientists, and magicians across the continent sought to transform metals into gold, create the philosopher's stone, and achieve immortality. But alchemy's desire to control the natural world drew serious criticism. Skeptics believed alchemists were guilty of heresy against God, at the time, a crime punishable by death. The Pope and his cardinals had an army of brutal officers ready to punish heretics with torture, death, and destruction, which they called the Inquisition. The Church established the Inquisition as a special ecclesiastical tribunal in the 12th century. Its goal was to uncover and punish any belief that went against Catholic doctrine. Its members, called inquisitors, were widely feared for their violent tactics used to elicit confessions of sin. And now alchemists were their next target, including Roger Bacon. In 1277, Pope John XXI told the Bishop of Paris to investigate the alleged heresy in Bacon's science texts. With Clement gone, Bacon was vulnerable to arrest and torture. Months later, the bishop officially condemned alchemical practices. He banned books and lessons with ideas he considered heretical, like astrology and alchemy. In an instant, Roger Bacon's textbooks about alchemy became illegal. In the years since Clement's death, other Franciscan friars grew suspicious of Bacon's strange interests. It didn't take long for Bacon's friends to betray him. High-ranking friars had him arrested by the Inquisition. Some historians believe it was a personal vendetta among the friars, not alchemy, that led to Bacon's arrest and exile. But regardless, the church held him under house arrest for two years. Little is known about his life afterward, but Bacon's imprisonment sent a clear message to other European alchemists. The Inquisition was hunting them. This increased scrutiny and condemnation drove alchemists further underground, but they continued to experiment with metals and chemicals. They knew they couldn't stay hidden forever, and they didn't. A shift happened in 1316. A new pope was elected, and he wanted to meet with alchemists. Pope John XXII believed he could end the controversy between faith-based science and experimental alchemy, which led to rumors that the new pope was actually an alchemist himself. If this were true, it would undercut the spiritual authority of the church. If the leader of this holy institution believed he could subvert the will of God, it would be one of the biggest scandals in the church's thousand-year history. Unfortunately, limited evidence exists that can prove whether or not Pope John XXII was involved in alchemy himself. All that is certain is that in 1317, he invited both alchemists and skeptics to Avignon, France, and allowed them to debate the issue. Historians know little about this summit in Avignon, who made the trip or what was said during the debate, but afterward, the Pope seemed persuaded by anti-alchemy skeptics. But not enough to condemn alchemy permanently. He issued another decree declaring that alchemy was a fraud, but not heresy. 
the Pope ruled that alchemists' attempts to create gold were essentially a form of counterfeiting. If alchemists were allowed to make fake gold, they could drive the value of real gold down and cause economy-damaging inflation. It was the same argument used against alchemists a thousand years earlier in ancient China. The Pope's decree against alchemy suggests that he wasn't an alchemist, like the rumors suggested. However, by refusing to call it heresy, he offered protection. The Inquisition backed off, and alchemists were safe to experiment, as long as they didn't mint fake coins. Influenced by the new laws, European alchemy of the 14th century drifted away from creating gold for wealth. The primary goal became healing the body and achieving immortality. No longer considered heresy, members of the Christian clergy became alchemists. Priests and friars experimented in laboratories built in monasteries and churches. One of them was a Franciscan friar named John of Rupescusa. John was already a controversial figure, thanks to his involvement in a radical group called the Spirituals. This offshoot clan of friars disapproved of the church's vast wealth, and the church didn't appreciate the criticism. In 1344, John of Rupescusa was arrested by his superiors to keep the spirituals in check. While imprisoned in a French monastery, he experimented with alchemy because he believed the fate of the world was at stake. According to some Christian teachings, the Antichrist will cause an apocalypse that destroys the health and riches of all Christians. To prevent this, John believed the church had to produce wealth and create new methods to heal the sick, and he saw alchemy as the best solution. John was particularly taken by the concept of the Philosopher's Stone, which he considered key to defeating the Antichrist. He believed he could construct the stone himself. He even detailed a complex recipe in one of his writings, including several basic chemistry steps that can be followed to this day. However, John mixed his instructions with poetic language that muddied their meaning. Many historians believe that when John failed in his experiments, he turned to faith and philosophy as an active ingredient, which meant his instructions couldn't be interpreted literally and didn't have practical applications in any lab. Unfortunately, the apocalypse John anticipated finally came, but it didn't come from the Antichrist. It was a disease called the bubonic plague, and it nearly ended the world as John knew it. In October 1347, a dozen trading ships landed in Sicily after traveling through Central Asia. Dock workers discovered that most of the sailors were dead and the few survivors were sick. Black boils that leaked pus covered their skin, a sure sign of plague. The sailors' sickness spread rapidly through the rest of Europe. Within two years, the plague infected almost every corner of the continent. Most who were infected died within a week. The pandemic became known as the Black Death. Doctors had no effective cures or medicines for the plague, so people looked for any possible treatment, no matter how unconventional. They flogged themselves with whips, deliberately cut their skin, and rubbed dead bodies of pigeons on their boils. 
In this era of desperation and experimentation, alchemists stepped forward. To combat the pandemic, they shifted their experiments from gold to medicine, just as their predecessors had in ancient China. Even John of Rupescasa sought new plague treatments in his monastery prison. As the plague devastated the outside world, John learned to distill wine into a new, purified substance. He believed this new liquid was the fifth element of existence, just like fire, water, earth, and air. He called it the water of life, and he believed it could be a remedy for all diseases. John's discovery is now used daily in our modern world. His so-called water of life was actually ethanol. Unfortunately, ethanol wasn't the plague-fighting cure-all John hoped it could be. Other European alchemists also offered new potions to ward off the plague. These often resembled elixirs of ancient Chinese alchemy, including mixtures of gold, mercury, and even arsenic. Just as they had been a millennium earlier, these alchemical elixirs were ineffective and sometimes made patients worse. Without any effective treatment, the Black Death burned through Europe's cities and towns. According to some estimates, it eventually killed over 50 million people, over half of the entire continent's population. Six years later, in 1353, the plague finally subsided, and another new opportunity appeared for alchemists to prove their merit. Political powers were devastated by the crisis, the economy collapsed, which meant gold was more valuable than ever. European leaders were suddenly open to anyone who promised the ability to manufacture gold. With support from the authorities, alchemy became safer and more stable. Alchemists experimented without fear. And this allowed one alchemist to finally create the Philosopher's Stone. Coming up... A lone amateur discovers the ultimate secret of alchemy. Now, back to the story. After alchemy reached Europe at the end of the first millennium, alchemists spent the next few centuries battling for survival. They fought against threats from skeptical academics, angry monarchs, and the Catholic Church. Finally, in the years following the devastating Black Plague, alchemists found stability, including a man named Nicolas Flamel. Flamel was one of the lucky French citizens who survived the Black Death. After the pandemic, he became a bookseller in Paris, where he immersed himself in alchemical studies. According to legend, when Flamel was in his late 20s, he had a prophetic dream. An angel appeared to him carrying a strange book and told Flamel that one day he'd translate the text to discover something that, quote, no other man will be able to see. In 1361, years after the dream, a traveler entered Flamel's bookshop and offered him an unusual artifact. It was an ancient book bound in copper with pages made of tree bark. It was the book from Flamel's dream. Upon closer examination, Flamel understood why the book was so important. 
Attributed to the biblical character of Abraham, the book was connected to a tradition of Jewish mysticism known as Kabbalah. It contained the secret instructions to create the Philosopher's Stone. Realizing the potential power of the book, Flamel immediately bought it. But there was one problem. Flamel couldn't read it. The text was a puzzle filled with codes he couldn't crack, diagrams he didn't understand, and scientific formulas he couldn't solve. While some of the book was written in Greek, which Flamel understood, other parts were written in a language he didn't recognize. Before he could learn the secrets of the book, he needed to understand Kabbalah. So he traveled to Spain to study under Jewish experts. When he returned to Paris, he was finally able to decode the book's meaning. The whole process took him over 20 years, but in 1382, at the age of 52, Flamel was able to understand enough of the book to follow its instructions. After years of experimentation, Flamel accomplished what a thousand years of alchemy had been working toward. He created the Philosopher's Stone. But the stories of Flamel's life don't explain how he was able to create the stone. The exact ingredients and methods are still a mystery. Regardless, Flamel wasted no time in using the stone. He allegedly transformed mercury into silver, then silver into gold. He amassed a huge fortune of transmuted gold and silver. He used that wealth to build housing for the poor, hospitals, and churches. Then, in 1418, Nicholas Flamel supposedly died at the age of 88. But some stories claim that Flamel actually faked his death and moved to the Indies where he continued thriving with the immortal power of the Philosopher's Stone. If this were true, Flamel might even be alive to this day. But there's no trace of Flamel's alchemical discoveries in contemporary records, nor is there any evidence that he moved to the Indies. In fact, stories of his alchemical breakthroughs didn't emerge until 200 years after his death. If he'd really found the Philosopher's Stone, it seems unlikely that he could have kept it a secret for centuries. After Flamel's story faded into history, alchemy experienced a golden age of acceptance in the 16th and 17th centuries. The scientific method grew out of the intellectual explosion of the Renaissance. Scientists chose to follow in the footsteps of Roger Bacon, valuing empirical evidence over faith and philosophy. Kings and queens supported alchemists' endeavors to create gold, hoping to gain wealth and financial stability for themselves. Alchemy reached a new generation of thinkers, including one young scientist named Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton was born in England in 1643, in the middle of alchemy's golden age in Europe. Newton was primarily a theologian and physicist, but he devoted at least as much time to alchemy as he did to physics. He was obsessed with the Philosopher's Stone. Newton extensively studied every legend he could find, from the tale of Nicholas Flamel to the ancient Arabic myth of the Emerald Tablet. Newton spent years examining alchemical texts and synthesizing them with his own scientific theories. Of the thousands of pages of writing he produced in his career, 10% was devoted to alchemy. 
Over a thousand years passed between the ancient Chinese alchemists and Isaac Newton, but some basic concepts of alchemy remained the same. Newton also believed that metal grew from deep in the earth and consisted of mercury and sulfur, which could give eternal life. But there were key differences between Newton and other alchemists. Most glaringly, their motivations. For Newton, alchemy wasn't about creating gold or controlling the natural world. It was about understanding God's presence on Earth. Newton and other European alchemists blended their lore and ideology with Christian ideas. For example, they emphasized the angel in Nicholas Flamel's story because angels connected the Philosopher's Stone with biblical stories. When Newton died in 1727, his family decided to keep his work secret. They were worried that Newton's true beliefs were too controversial, so they locked them away for over two centuries. Not until the early 2000s were most of the secret papers released or published. But some of Newton's writings remain hidden to this day. His complete beliefs and studies in alchemy are still not fully understood. Around the time of Newton's death, alchemy declined in popularity and respect. In its stead, the study of chemistry developed in the early 18th century as scientists learned more about the composition of metals. Rigorous testing finally concluded that changing one metal into another wasn't possible. In the centuries after, the study of alchemy slipped further and further away from serious scientific study. Today, chemistry still contains echoes of alchemy. Chemists study chemical reactions and transformations of metal, even though the core premise of transmutation is considered impossible. But in the 1850s, alchemy produced one last mystery. A French photographer named Cyprien Théodore Tiffereau claimed he cracked the code of transmutation while in Mexico. Tiffereau published papers detailing how he supposedly turned the silver from his photographic plates into gold. Like ancient alchemists, Tiffereau claimed all metals were based on the same elements and that changing those elements would change the metal. But instead of mercury and sulfur, Tiffereau used modern chemistry to show that the base elements were hydrogen, nitrogen, and oxygen. Tiffereau's claims sparked a revival in alchemy among chemists. Some scientists seriously considered the possibility that transmuting metal into gold was possible. When he returned to Paris, Tiffereau tried to show off his gold-creating process with other scientists as witnesses. It was the first major test of alchemy in the age of science. And it failed. Tiffereau couldn't replicate his transmutation on the spot. Chemists theorized that during his first experiment, Tiffereau only managed to change the patina of the silver. His claims eventually faded, and alchemy receded from the world of respected science. Today, alchemy is considered a mystical belief or a pseudoscience, but modern technology has finally accomplished the dream of ancient alchemists. Using nuclear physics and incredibly complex machines, scientists can create gold. Particle accelerators can create new atoms of elements by smashing together particles at high speeds, sending protons and neutrons flying. 
One machine in Germany can make up to 2 million atoms of gold per second. Although this is technically transmutation, it's far from the get-rich-quick power that ancient alchemists imagined. It would take 50 million years for an accelerator to produce a single gram of gold. In the modern era, most scientists agree there's no philosopher's stone, no emerald tablet, and no hidden knowledge in ancient alchemy books. And yet, the process is real. Humans can now transmute gold and take control of the natural world down to its smallest particles. If cutting-edge physics can create gold, then it could also unlock the deepest secrets of the universe. One day, even immortality may be within reach, and the dream of alchemists across history will finally come true. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. See you next time. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Ryan Lee, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Connor Sampson. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerlein, and research by Bradley Klein. Unexplained Mysteries stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. Hi, listeners. It's Carter. Here's a quick reminder to check out the Solved Murders four-part special Party Fouls. Every Wednesday in August, take a closer look at four celebrations that ended in horrific fashion. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Solved Murders. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.